Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. And good morning and welcome. I am Heather Caro. And I'm Marcus Ashlock. And we are your hosts today for Real Presence Live. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful Wednesday morning. It is the feast day of Saints Peter and Paul. So we are excited to be hosting today on this great solemnity. Before we get too far in, let us join in prayer. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant we pray, grant we pray O Lord, that we may be sustained by the intercession of the blessed apostles Peter and Paul. That as through them you gave your church the foundations of her heavenly office, so through them you may help her to eternal salvation. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, Marcus, for joining me again this morning. Well, I appreciate you having me. You're becoming a sidekick here in Sioux Falls. Well, that's an awesome job. <laughs> So, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. You've hosted with me once before, and that was about a month ago, wasn't it? I think so. Maybe the 1st of June, something yeah. like that. So, so, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are. Uh, well, I'm, again, Marcus Ashlock. I'm a, a transplant carpetbagger uh, from the oh. south up here in Sioux Falls. So, um, just a, a Catholic convert for about, I guess, three, a little over three years now. So, mm-hmm. enjoying coming home to the faith. So, Amen. Glad to have you mm-hmm. back. So we're going to get started off with a bang this morning. We're going to have a Jason Adkins. He's on the line with us right now. He's the Executive Director for the Minnesota Catholic Conference. And good morning to you, Jason. Good morning to you both. Great to be with you. Thanks for being on with us. And it was quite well-timed on my part to schedule you for this interview today before we even knew the Roe v. Wade thing was coming down. Um, pretty excited when I saw that, hey... We get Jason on the air. <laughs> so tell me a little bit, tell the listeners first before we get into the questions, tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So I am the executive director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. We are the public policy voice of the Catholic Church, uh, representing our state's uh, bishops and dioceses at our state capitol and with our congressional representatives as well. Uh, there are state Catholic conferences, both, of course, in North Dakota and South Dakota as well. And mm-hmm. the staff of a Catholic conference, and the, the conference is the Conference of Bishops, the staff implements the public policy initiatives uh, of the state's bishops and then helps them, uh, assist them in their ministry to help Catholics live their vocation, responsibility, of faithful citizenship. So it's really a blessing and a wonderful opportunity uh, to bring the gospel into this uh, periphery, as Pope Francis calls it. We need to bring the gospel and be felt light in all areas, especially in the halls of government. Right. Well, so the news, we keep talking about it, and I'm sure it's just been a buzz around your office, the whole uh, Roe v. Wade turnover. Um, Tell us your first reaction when you heard about it. Well, obviously very exciting, and um, I think 
some of us were skeptical that it would even happen. Uh, you know, on some level, on some of these issues that we're so used to losing, quite frankly, mm-hmm. in, in terms yep. of where the culture is heading, that uh, the inexorable march of progress for the sexual revolution seemed to be going on untrammeled. And this is pr- precisely why so many people are upset, is because that alleged march of progress has been halted and, in fact, turned back pretty decisively. So our court, the Supreme Court, found that the, the right to an abortion is not a right consistent with our traditions of ordered liberty. And, in fact, the Constitution is neutral on that question, returning the issue to the states for democratic deliberation. There no doubt will be that uh, in the coming days, months, and years ahead. So the, it's hardly an end, but another beginning. And uh, so the issue is going to be one that we're going to, it's going to be more intensified at the local level where we have these conversations with our friends and neighbors. But despite the challenging work ahead, it's no doubt a cause of, of joy and excitement and uh, a very hopeful stage in the battle to build a culture of life. Right. Well, and I think a lot of people have some misconceptions or understandings about, because we're talking a lot about Roe v. Wade being turned over, but we're not talking a whole lot about Dobbs. And so can you open it up a little bit for our listeners, just what exactly happened? Um, And I kind of think it's quite a beautiful circle that um, they were trying to loosen the reins on abortion, and instead they tightened the reins on abortion <laughs> when they came up with the lawsuit. Can you open that up a little bit for the listeners? So uh, what happened was the state of Mississippi enacted a ban on abortion after 15 weeks. And, of course, that was challenged in court under the grounds that this violated uh, the act, right to access abortion, that presented an undue burden on women seeking abortion, you know, consistent with the Roe and Casey holdings of the Supreme Court. Casey was the 1992 decision that reaffirmed Roe v. Wade. So that went up through the courts, but the state of Mississippi asked the Supreme Court to reverse Roe v. Wade to give the states more flexibility in banning abortions consistent with their public policy and the values of the people of their state. And that's, in fact, what the U.S. Supreme Court did, was not only take up the question of whether the 15-week ban was valid, but uh, took the opportunity to address the court's abortion jurisprudence altogether, and doing so decided that the federal government needed to get out of, at least the federal court system, needed to get out of the abortion business as much as possible. Right. And, and that means the fight isn't over by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think people instantly think that this whole subject has been put to bed, and that would be wrong to think that way, wouldn't it? It would be. I mean, civics education in this country is depressingly low. Um, you know, they do these interviews, the man or woman on the street interviews, and they say, well, you're against, or, you know, are you against this decision of the Supreme Court? Yes. Well, do you think that it should be returned to the states? Yes, that would be a good idea. <laughs> you know, so, so, uh, you, know, you hear that, these, these examples are legion. You know, people think it. This, you know, you know. Oh well, now that Roe v. Wade's overturned, Catholics can move on to other issues. Uh, oh no, you know. As, here's the, the civics reality: is that as long as abortion is legal in one state, any woman in this country can access an abortion. So. Yeah, we can do our and abortion regulations and bans are going to limit abortion. They're going to make people rethink a lot of their choices, which is important. And that's, you know, law as a teacher. Um, so that's really important to mention. But we still have to do the work of changing hearts and minds. And we have to make abortion unthinkable. And we have to limit it, um, the access and the demand, the supply and the demand in as many places as possible. So it's a both-and uh, mm-hmm. strategy. And we have a long 
long way to go. So this is a great moment. We should celebrate this moment. There is nothing wrong with celebrating this moment, but let's also recognize there's a, a long road ahead in terms of, like I said, building that culture of life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because uh, Roe and Casey are so uh, closely related, does this decision nullify Casey, or are they going to have to go back and re-argue that? No, the, the, the court has ruled that the Constitution is neutral with regard to this question. There is some debate about, you know, whether, because some of the laws in states, they don't make exceptions for the life of the mother, uh, whether or not those still uh, those ab- state-based abortion bans are uh, still valid, even though they don't make those exceptions, so that's kind of an emerging question of jurisprudence. Um, but technically speaking, the uh, Roe and Casey have both been overturned. Okay, very good. So <clears throat> it's also quite interesting because this is a special week. Um, the original reason we were having you on today, Jason, was to talk about there's a special um, week that we're remembering this week. Tell us what that is. Well, that's Religious Freedom Week, um, an observance that started um, in 20, uh, 2013, I believe it was, with the Fortnight for Freedom, mm-hmm. and now has been uh, changed to Religious Freedom Week, beginning with the feast of the, so the Memorial of St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher, and extending through today the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. And so it's a week to reflect on the importance and value of religious freedom as a blessing uh, of our constitutional regime, that it, it doesn't separate law and morality or religion in public life, but in fact it facilitates the religious expression of believers precisely because they have a responsibility to serve their community. So the, week, uh, the theme of this year's Religious Freedom Week is Life and Dignity for All, and that it's because the church does go out and serve. We go out on mission. We are sent forth uh, into our communities to serve and protect life and dignity for all. That we need religious freedom. The right mm-hmm. to religious freedom, of course, comes with responsibilities, and that's a core theme of uh, religious freedom. So every day during the week, we take up a different prayer initiative, whether it's for religious freedom in China, whether it's opposition to. Um, and protection for houses of worship from vandalism and security threats, which we've seen more and more in the last couple of weeks. Each day it's an opportunity to reflect on the importance of religious freedom and think about that in one particular context. Right. So back in the day when Religious Freedom Week uh, started, and you had brought it up a little bit, I remember the HHS mandate being a really big deal, but now it seems to have not be in the focus anymore. Can you update us on where we're at with that? Well, you're right. The the Fortnite for Freedom precisely was uh, launched in response in part to the HHS mandate, but also a sense that there were growing uh, threats to the free exercise of Catholics. So the HHS mandate mandated contraception coverage um, in religiously affiliated employer health plans. And of course, you know, we like we want to provide health insurance to our employees, but we don't want to, uh, as the, the technical term goes, cooperate with evil or acts that we consider immoral. And we don't want to be facilitating contraceptives or especially abortifacients, which mm-hmm. you know some of these uh, chemical contraceptives have, they have that effect as well. So that's how it started. I, I would. I'd not say, though, that um, that this isn't a, a major concern. What we're facing with the Biden administration are an expansion of all kinds of regulations, much like the uh, HHS mandate, into areas such as education, 
Um, the new the new front on uh, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare is Section 1557 and its non-discrimination provisions. And uh, since the U.S. Supreme Court issued its Bostick decision, um, expanding uh, discrimination based on sex to also mean sexual orientation and gender identity, now the Biden administration is going through um, federal regulations and imposing this whole conception of gender ideology throughout federal law, health care, education, universities, uh, you name it. So it's really, really expansive. It's almost though like playing whack-a-mole in the sense that whereas we were fighting largely on one front with the HHS mandate, now there's so many of these things, and what's the best way of uh, responding to them? But it's a, it's a major challenge because it limits the ability of Catholic health care, Catholic education, to go out and serve in, in consistent with its mission, and that's the heart of the issue. So that's very much an issue that's still alive. It's just in a different frame because the issues related to the HHS mandate have largely been resolved with a few ongoing wrinkles. Mm-hmm. So where did we end up with some of those lawsuits that were out there? Well, I think, you know, it'd be important to mention two major victories for religious freedom from the U.S. Supreme Court this last week. Yeah, the first would be the Carson v. Macon decision out of Maine, which involved a school choice program and the limitation of uh, access to educational options based on that state's anti-Catholic Blaine Amendment. So what the court held in Carson was that when a state offers a school choice program, it can't make distinctions and it can't discriminate based on whether the parents choose to uh, access education at a secular private school or a religious private school. So in Maine, because there weren't high schools in every district, you could essentially take a voucher and go to a private school. But what Maine did was say you couldn't go to a religious school or one that had uh, religious instruction in it. The Supreme Court said that kind of discrimination was unconstitutional. That is a major win for educational choice as well as religious freedom. But then there was also the Kennedy case uh, involving the Washington football coach who wanted to pray at the 50-yard line and invited uh, students and others to pray with him. So the state, he was fired and put on leave because that was supposedly the endorsement of religion, the establishment of religion, but the Supreme Court held no. That is not an establishment of religion simply because a public employee expresses religious faith publicly, and it's a denial of its free exercise rights. Uh, for him to not be able to do that, to not be able to pray publicly. So a couple serious wins uh, I wanted to mention at the U.S. Supreme Court, including Dobbs, in this last week. Wonderful. Well, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Jason Adkins. He's the executive director for the Minnesota Catholic Conference. And, Jason, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. Uh, We will have more with you and uh, more of my questions. So (laughs) stay tuned with us, folks. More Real Presence Live right after this. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Do you know a priest who has made a difference in your life or at your parish? One who has helped you through a loss, discern an important decision, or celebrated the sacraments with you and your family? Real Presence Radio would like to know about these amazing priests. Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com contact to nominate your priest. And each week on Real Presence Live, we will recognize one of our priests with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. Help us honor our fathers by nominating your priest today. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. 
Have interruptions impacted your charitable giving? If you feel like you have less to give this year or are waiting until you get through these recent challenges, we want to let you know about some creative gift options that won't cost you a dime this year. For example, you could designate Real Presence Radio as the beneficiary of all or percentage of your IRA, or make RPR beneficiary of a percentage of your estate or specific asset. Make a bequest commitment gift this year without impacting your savings or investments. To learn more about the benefits of making a charitable bequest, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701 701- Two nine zero four five zero three. Let's get started. I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director of Riverview Place. I've worked my entire career in healthcare as a social worker in the hospital, skilled nursing, and hospice settings. I love my job. Not only do I get to work with a caring, dedicated team that displays human kindness to every resident, it's a privilege to offer seniors a lifestyle that reminds me of what it felt like to grow up in the small rural town of Buffalo, North Dakota. To join our faith-based community, call us today for a tour at 701-412-1952. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. And welcome back. I'm Heather Carroll. And I'm Marcus Ashlock. And you're listening to Real Presence Live. We're broadcasting today from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Thank you for joining us. We are on the line with Jason Atkins. He's the executive director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and we're just asking him to unwrap the whole Roe v. Wade situation. And we are also talking about this has been Religious Freedom Week, what that means. Um, so let's dive in a little bit. A lot of our listeners are in Minnesota. A lot of them are in North Dakota and South Dakota. And the landscapes in all three are very different, uh, especially Minnesota. So can you talk about... Um, the landscape of abortion in Minnesota? So in Minnesota, we unfortunately have a 1995 case that's uh, relatively analogous to Roe v. Wade called Doe v. Gomez. And what Doe held was that uh, the Minnesota Constitution is, in fact, uh, more expansive than the federal Constitution in terms of how it protects uh, the access to abortion. So there's a right of privacy, and that includes abortion. And not only does it include abortion, but if you are poor and lack the resources, the state will pay for you to get an abortion. So we have constitutionally mandated taxpayer-funded abortion uh, in our state that, um, uh, you know, making Minnesota one of the most, uh, uh, if the word is liberal, I don't know, but uh, open in terms of its access to abortion around the country. So we do have a number of laws that limit um, uh, abortion and provide access to information, to prospective mothers, such as women's rights know. We have safe place for newborns. We have a parental notification law. But those are all being challenged in, in our state courts. And so it remains to be seen in the next couple months whether our state Supreme Court is going to strike those down as well and expand the right to an abortion here or, um, at the same time, uphold those as a reasonable balance between uh, protecting uh, fetal life and the life of the mother and balancing that so-called right to an abortion in our Constitution. So that's something to watch here in Minnesota. But what that means for us either way, from a policy level, 
is that we have to be trying to limit the demand for abortion. So how can we help our, our pregnancy resource centers through our program called Positive Alternatives, which helps fund uh, pregnancy resource centers, places that don't refer for abortions, for example. But it also means think, thinking about what a family-friendly um, uh, post-Dobbs policy framework looks like, and we're really doubling down on that. For example, we're proposing a child tax credit uh, modeled after the uh, federal tax credit that expired, uh, last year, but which helped reduce child poverty and child hunger. What if we used our surplus, our ten, almost $10 billion surplus here at the state level and supported uh, women facing a pregnancy, and, but in fact all fam- low- and middle-income families with a child tax credit? So we, either, mm. we can you know, cut income taxes for the people who least need it or do a one-time tax rebate gimmick like our governor wants to do, or we can make a long-term investment in Minnesota's families, which will help people in need right now fight inflation, but also make Minnesota a more family-friendly destination, in fact, be a powerful workforce development tool as well. Absolutely. Well, and I think you've hit on something, too. One of the, the rhetoric that I hear on the two different camps of either you're for abortion or against it or whatever is that now that you've uh, outlawed abortion, you don't care about children. But the the Catholic faith has got a tremendous amount of support for women and families, and I think we probably need to do a better job of educating the public on how much we actually do Mm -hmm. for women and children after they're born because the rhetoric that the left is using against us is completely off base. They conflate the issue. Mm Well, it's not just off base; it's mendacious. You know, like mm-hmm. you know the whole claim. Well, you're not. You know, you don't. You don't. You don't care about the child children once they're born. And then we establish, you know, a huge network of uh, pregnancy resource centers. And then, of course, they attack the pregnancy resource centers. So, <laughs> right. um, you know, these these sorts of uh, arguments, by and large, are mendacious. It does doesn't mean though we can't do better and we can't do more here in Minnesota. I'm proud that um, our bishops have committed to making our parishes a safe place for newborns a place of referral, and a place of welcome for mothers facing difficult pregnancies, and uh, then directing them, if they can't provide them themselves, toward resources and sources of support that will help them carry that baby to term and make that right choice. So Mm -hmm. that's exciting. We can do more, but, um, yeah, we shouldn't simply roll over to that criticism that we only care about uh, uh, children before they're born. We're doing all kinds of work in the the charitable realm, but also in, in the justice realm, working for prenatal justice, to make sure that we're protecting the baby and the mother, that we're loving them both and providing the policy and economic supports that we can to help them make the right choice. Absolutely. Well, and the other thing, too, that I would like you to touch on a little bit is the importance of the midterms coming up. Um, I think a lot of people feel like their vote, quote-unquote, doesn't count. Um, Can you talk about um, just how important these midterms are? Well, you know, elections are always important in the sense that uh, you know, you're picking people to make choices, essentially, on your behalf and to represent you. So you want to study the candidates, understand their perspectives and the issues, where they're going to come down, uh, and then, you know, make a conscious choice one way or another. I think, going back to my point about civics education and it being relatively low, I can't tell you how many people believe that their only opportunity to engage the political process is when they vote. Um, the voting is just mm. one day. Uh, it's one day of faithful citizenship. But one of the reasons that we have our Catholics at the Capitol event, but why we have something called the Catholic Advocacy Network, is to facilitate conversations and relationships between constituents and legislators so that you're not just 
voting and then wiping your hands of the problem, but you're continually conversing with them about important issues and what they should be doing when they go to St. Paul or when they go to Bismarck or when they go to Pierre. This is an ongoing relationship, and if we want people to do the right things, that we need to be in relationship with them, we need to be friends of them, not just always demanding, but also thanking and uh, chiding them when necessary, uh, but also recognizing that the work of faithful citizenship is not simply one Tuesday in November, mm-hmm. but happens all year long. So that's the, that's the main reason elections are important uh, going forward. Right. Well, and I think, too, you know, when you look at some of the elections that go on within your own state, I think the Roe v. Wade overturn has really shown how important it is to vote for your local state-level legislators. Absolutely it is. Now, it's going to be a state abortion is going to be far more on the radar in terms of state-based politics than it has been in the past, where states have been relatively handcuffed because of federal abortion jurisprudence. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are no longer federal laws. Uh, related to a whole set of issues with regard to abortion. So those are going to be more squarely within state purview. So you look at a state like Minnesota, our governor, and this is not me being partisan, it's just the reality of it, you know, in the last three days or four days since Dobbs has come down, his Twitter feed, both his campaign feed and his personal feed, have been, uh, I I would say, (laughs) very aggressive, proactive in terms of Mm. communicating his support for abortion. So that's absolutely one thing that voters and Catholic voters uh, should consider as they're they're uh, selecting candidates. So absolutely important, but we don't want to also forget the importance of not just state and federal elections, but also those down ballot races, school boards. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the the congressional race that you're paying attention to might be less important than the school board race that you're not paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the importance of school board races and local elections um, in the past couple of years in terms of uh, all sorts of things, uh, how education services are being delivered, what they're teaching in schools, but also uh, how counties and local administrators are administering things like COVID regulations, for example, um, how they run our libraries, how they levy property taxes. I mean, these are all very, very important issues. So don't forget those local races uh, when you're looking at uh, your election ballot. Yeah, great reminders. Well, and you mentioned at break that that because of your governor's uh, political leanings that uh, Minnesota, he's trying to make it a sanctuary state. And I know that's probably not going to happen in South Dakota, but what's it look like on the other borders of Minnesota? Well, you know, Wisconsin, of course, uh, there's litigation in Wisconsin as to whether or not they're going to um, have their abortion ban go into effect. The governor of Iowa has just asked its courts to instate their abortion ban. So theoretically... Minnesota could be sort of an island in a, mm. in, mid, in a Midwest where abortion is either illegal or severely limited. So there's going to be huge pressure, of course, by Planned Parenthood and their allies, their political allies here, um, including our governor, to make, and our attorney general, and among others, to make abortion access as widely as available as possible. Mm. So they're going to spend incredible amounts of resources to do so. We're going to push back on that to the extent that we're able, of course. Um, but we also have to recognize that one of the best ways to limit abortion is to limit the demand and make mm. it unthinkable. So that's when we talk about child tax credits, crisis pregnancy centers, um, positive alternatives, safe place for newborns, and then what, what, the, what we do at the local parish level to support women in need. Yeah. Well, Jason, we have talked about a lot of different things today. Can you give the listeners your website just so that they can go and find more information on something that may have piqued their interest today? Sure. We're at mncatholic.org. Again, that's mncatholic.org. And especially for our Minnesota listeners, I'd encourage folks to sign up for the Catholic Advocacy Network. 
uh, with the Catholic Advocacy Network, you can stay updated on important events and trainings, such as the Equip for Life training we're doing in October. It's a pro-life apologetic seminar to help people talk about abortion in a more proactive and charitable manner. That's Equip for Life. But again, our website's mncatholic.org. And uh, to sign up for the Catholic Advocacy Network, it's the first thing on the page. You can click on that. And we also send updates and action alerts about key legislative items uh, that are, are in front of our legislators, both at the state and federal level, and give people an opportunity to communicate directly with their legislators or congresspersons with a simple click of the mouse. Again, that web- website is mncatholic.org. All right. Jason Atkins, thank you so much for taking the time to join us this morning. It's always a blessing to be on RPR. Thanks so much, Heather and Marcus. All thank right. You. Thank you. All right, folks, that was Jason Adkins. He, was the, he is the executive director for the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and he was just talking about the landscape in Minnesota. I know that North Dakota and South Dakota also have a Catholic conference, so if you want to see some of the issues that are being put before South Dakota and North Dakota, be sure to check out your local Catholic conference in those states. And you can also sign up for the CAN, the um, emails that he was talking about for both North and South Dakota. So I think it's really important that we are very aware Mm -hmm. and pay attention to these sort of things. Well, and I think that's exactly the point. You have to... Step out of your comfort zone to be aware. You have yeah. to look for this information, or else you're going to be inundated on Facebook with all you know, all of this poor advertising from the left. from from the left and every other. Well, and I, what do you, what would you say to people who say I don't like talking about politics? Well, regardless of whether you like talking about politics, they affect your life exactly. So. <laughs> You don't have to enjoy it. I don't like talking about humidity, but it's there every day. (laughs) (laughs) Humidity. That's awesome. (laughs) This is true. Very true. All right. We have a quick break. When we come back, Jan Fetrell is going to be in the hot seat. She's going to be talking about one of my favorite events of the entire year here in Sioux Falls. So don't go anywhere. More Real Presence Live right after this. Live. Engaging. And local. This is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 